and open up to Luke chapter 6, and we are wrapping up the chapter this morning, and we're also wrapping up Jesus' sermon this morning. And just to kind of set the tone, um, a big part of Jesus' sermon has been giving instruction. So just like a loving father, there's really clear expectations given out of love of here's what you should do. Uh, sometimes people say, you know, um, Christianity isn't just a list of, of do's and don'ts. That's a very true statement. We're going to address that this morning. But it does have lists of do's and don'ts, born out of love, uh, given to us. So this morning is not more instruction, more do's or more don'ts. Rather, what I see this morning as um, is really a celebration. It's actually to stop and give glory to God, to stop and with eyes of wonder, we just sang that line, with eyes of wonder to stop and take inventory of what God's done. Uh, it's not just a celebration though, um, I'm convinced that in every service there are people who are, who are on the fence uh, with, with Jesus. So, so it's a celebration on the one hand, um, it's also an invitation on the other hand. Um, to, to begin to participate in the great works of God. And we're going to do a little pop quiz. What's great about pop quizzes is it takes, um, it, it gives you a snapshot of what you know or don't know, right? Uh, so it's going to be sort of, um, you know, sometimes teachers like to post results uh, and um, there's a little bit of like good peer pressure that's there. Um, let, me, let me raise some of your uh, heart rates really quick here for a second. This is going to be a, a public quiz. So people are going to see sort of your passing grade or your failing grade by the raise or non-raise of your hand. All right? Everyone nervous and ready? Good. All right. We got you engaged with that. So here's what you're going to do. If you know the answer, I just want you to put your hand up. Okay? Um, and oh my, don't get me going on that. Uh, so I'm going to ask a question, and then you're going to put your hand up if you know the answer. Okay? Really simple. Um, okay, what kind of tree is this right here? Okay? What kind of tree is this right here? Raise your hand if you know. Okay? What kind of tree is this? All right, that's a little bit of a softball. <laughs> Christmas tree. All right. Okay. Um, Go ahead and, and put your hands down. Now, I'm not even going to um, address the, is it a horticulturalist? Is that, is that who knows about plants and things? I think the Roberts here have a lot going on this morning. All right. Now, let me give you, uh, I've got Dave's bag of tricks here. Um, here's, a, here's another one. I want you to raise your hand um, if you can tell me what kind of tree uh, this item came off of. Okay. Raise your hand if you know what kind of tree this came off of. Okay. Raise your hand if you know what kind of tree this came off of. Some of you need to learn your fruits or you're not awake or you're being rebellious. I need you to raise your hand if you know, okay, one of, one of you just raised his hand. He's like, okay, I'll play along. All right, we're in California. Let's do this. Some of you out of state are like, I still don't know what that is. Okay. Um, now. How many of you, well, we, we saw how many of you. We don't, we don't even need to ask that question. Um, you guys really did terrible at the first one. 
Um, the reason I didn't ask them is I don't even know what kind of trees those are. I googled the word tree and I grabbed three random looking trees that I didn't know the name of and I assumed that I was in good company. You guys didn't know the name of it other. I, I mean as well. It took you a, a split second to see this fruit and, and know what kind of, of, of tree is there. This is the very basic, very simple point that Jesus is driving home at the end of his sermon here. And the quiz that you just took, none of you prepped for this. You just knew this. You know this. Now here's, here's a point I want to draw out to you. You will say sometimes, uh, you will hear people say sometimes, you can't tell what's going on inside my heart. This goes along with the idea of, of um, don't judge me, right? And many people are convinced that you cannot discern what is going on in the unseen places of a person. The heart, the mind, the soul. Now, I am not against all therapy and counseling. I think some of it is exceedingly helpful. But I do know that we are an over-counseled, paid-counseled society. And that much of the world, through much of history, has had zero access to specialists who can help you discern the inner workings and the unseen places of the soul, the heart, the mind, the will. And what Jesus does in a few short words, a very simple parable, is he says this, it does not take an expert to discern the unseen places. There is evidence all around you about what is going on inside your own heart, soul, mind. Now here's what I want to caution against this morning. Um, Don't you find yourself sometimes listening to a sermon for someone else? I do this all the time. I'm like, man, that person could really use this message. Man, I need to jot that down because I need to pass that on to someone else. They're really struggling with that. And that would make my life better if they stopped struggling with that. Can we try doing something this morning? Can we, can we have an expectation that God would speak to us? Can we obey the scriptures that we heard earlier about getting that, you know, two by four out of our own eye before helping people with sawdust in their eye? So let's receive the message this morning. Let's listen to the sermon this morning for us, saying, God, what would you have for me to hear and to receive, not for someone else? Here's what we can see in nature all around us. Um, Healthy things grow. You take these fruits that were produced. They were produced after their own kind. The evidence that we see uh, is, is showing things that we can't see, namely the root system of that tree. There's no expert training needed. Sometimes expert training is, is helpful to come in and, and discern some things, but everyone has access to this information. Uh, and finally, uh, this is a side point that Jesus isn't making, but we struggle with this in the church, and that is to compare fruit from one to another is pointless. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Some of you know Hebrews 11 well. It goes on uh, to describe 
uh, various individuals. It's called the Hall of Faith chapter. Goes on to describe various individuals that by what they said and by what they did produced evidence of things we couldn't possibly see. They're the things that live in the unseen realm. It's what's going on inside the heart. It's what's being worshipped. It's what's being thought about. It's what's being hoped for. It's what your life is being built on. The truths that Jesus gives us then are true for us now. Luke chapter 6 verse 43 says this. For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from bramble bush, from a, a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Most of you are probably familiar with something that we read in Galatians called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is, anyone? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's, that's something called the fruit of the Spirit. Elsewhere in Scripture, we see this as well. You go, gosh, I stink at memorizing. That's hard. That's a long list. How do I remember all that? Jesus had this way of simplifying things, didn't he? If you could take one characteristic, one fruit, one summary word, I think it would be love. A Christian is known for her love. Christian is known for his love. Of all the kinds of loves that are out there, you have to define terms, because love is a convoluted term. A lot of people have different definitions. The Bible helps us with that. But of all the kinds of love out there, think about this for a moment. If you know your history, if you know your world events right now, the most distinctive characteristic of a Christian that when you see it, you go, Jesus follower. If you know anything about Jesus, it's love your enemy. Don't a lot of world religions preach love? Yeah. Don't a lot of um, atheistic people preach love? Absolutely. Love your enemy and forgive those who persecute you. That's distinct to Christianity. I was at this conference a couple of weeks ago, and I heard from a man named Belay. Belay was born in Ethiopia, and he describes the idea that God gave him this beautiful gift called a mom and a dad and two little brothers. He said this family was, was this perfect little Eden for him. It was comfortable. It was protected, it was nurturing, but it didn't last. He describes the day that the neighbors came over and murdered his mom. 
His dad took the case to the local courts there in Ethiopia, and due to corruption, the case was thrown out. Not long after that, the authorities came to the dad and took dad away for bringing up false accusations against neighbors. There was a power play going on, leaving Belay to care for his two younger brothers. Left to fend for himself and his two little brothers, he ends up getting rescued by a Christian orphanage that that gave as Christ gave. They gave shelter, they gave food, they gave medicine, they gave education. And at the age of 12, he says this. He says, God touched my heart at age 12, and he said, I was given something truly precious. And he describes the day he chose to trust Jesus Christ. He was given salvation. As he sat in that orphanage, he watched some get adopted, and he kept wondering, is there a family for me and my brothers? He says week after week would pass, and and different kids would get adopted out. And then he came to this realization, here on earth, that's not going to happen. He was never adopted out. But as he read his Bible, what he realized was this. Before the world began, he had already been adopted by the father of fathers. He was given an eternal home by the one who fathers the fatherless. At 18 years old, he has to leave the orphanage. He leaves with a little yellow backpack that he'd had since he was a kid. And he had a sticker on the headboard of his, of his bed. And it said this, with Jesus, there is hope. He describes the moment he's walking out of the orphanage. The gates are there. He has no idea what he's going to do. And as he's approaching the gates, he says, I heard a whisper, and it said this, Emmanuel. Friends, what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. He didn't hear go left or go right. He heard Emmanuel. He heard that he wasn't alone. As he began to read his Bible and grow up in Christ, he came across this urge that was not from him. Love your enemies. Belay describes going to his neighbor and doing what he could never do alone, but he did because Christ was working in him. He went to his neighbors who killed his mom all those years ago, altered the course of his life, and he said, I love you, I forgive you. Let me tell you about fruit for a second. As I sat in a congregation of 20, 000, or 2,000 people, you can tell someone telling a story when, when they are free from resentment and bitterness and anger. In January of 2018, the Ethiopian parliament banned all foreign adoptions. That's still true of this day. Just before that occurred, God began to lay on Belay's heart this idea about starting an organization that would raise up Ethiopians, that would change the culture in Ethiopia to have Ethiopian Christians caring for Ethiopian orphans. Now this organization called Hope for the Fatherless exists. And what Belay does is he devotes his life to the 5.6 million orphans that are in his home country. Because as he says it, an institution isn't 
a solution. When I hear this man tell his story, and as I look on his life, I can look and see the good fruit of loving and forgiving your enemies was a part of God's plan, preparing him for an even greater abundance of fruit, of helping kids just like him be rescued out of an orphanage and placed into a family. Here's a truth that we can see. As we look around the room this morning, as you go about your week this week, people look the same. If they were trees, there'd be some version of trunks and there'd be branches and there'd be leaves and there'd be stuff going on. All people have the same basic need. Like a tree, they need water, they need sunlight, they need some space to grow. But people are very different, aren't they? Our stories are littered with people we thought were one thing, and it was discovered in time that they were something else. What Jesus is teaching is not only for us, but in our discernment of people. The kind and quality of fruit is determined by the nature of the tree. The Christian gospel is really simple. It's not what we do for God. It is what God does for us. The invitation that Jesus gives is not to come and produce a whole bunch of lemons so that you can become a lemon tree. That's insane. We don't see that anywhere in the created order. He makes us a lemon tree, and therefore we do what we can't help but do. We produce lemons in time. Just the language that he talks about it. It's total transformation. You must be born again. He says that we who are in Christ are born not of the will of a man or a woman, but born of the will of God. We're not born of flesh and blood. We're born of the Spirit. Do you hear the total transformation that goes on? That's why we use this word conversion. You are of an utterly different kind. The picture of baptism is going down and dying to the old self and rising to the newness of life. You are now something utterly and totally different. We see this gospel on display every single day in created things. The fruit tells you all you need to know about the roots. A couple weeks ago, we, I invited you to consider the lilies of the field. Actually, that was last week on Mother's Day. Consider the lilies of the field. This week, I want you to observe trees and fruit. You can come up with a longer list, but let me get you started. When you pass a young tree and you don't know what kind it is, you know what you do? You give it time. In time, you will see the health and the kind of tree by what's being produced. If this week, I intend to eat this apple this week, I hope it tastes amazing. If you eat an amazing apple this week, you can know that the kind of tree that produced this apple was an apple tree. Doing what apple trees do, they produce fruit. Christian, hear me very carefully. This ought to be a massive sigh of relief to hear this. I told you at the beginning of this morning, this morning's a celebration If you find the cross of Jesus Christ in any way beautiful, that's a work of the Spirit. The flesh finds it disgusting. 
If you find the idea of loving and forgiving an enemy in this extreme case, the way that Belay did in Ethiopia, if you find that inspiring, motivating, that's a work of the Spirit. That is an imprint of the image of God on you. To take inventory of that and say, Spirit, you are at work in my life because the flesh wants nothing to do with dying to my own self and giving to someone else. From trees to buildings, this truth is readily available to us as much today as in the first century. So Jesus wants to prevent the error that all we have to do is confess the right thing, say the right things. Out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. And what he does is he sharpens his point by giving us a second little parable from the world of architecture. There's a headline, this is about a year old now from Business Insider about the Millennium Tower in San Francisco. A 58-story skyscraper in San Francisco is tilting and sinking. And the residents say their multi-million dollar condos are nearly worthless. According to this report, since it was completed in 2018, as of 2000, uh, I mean, completed in 2008, it has sunk 17 inches and tilted 14 inches. How vital are foundations? I mean, we're, we're sort of like the leading edge here in this Bay Area. Technology, money, brain power, ingenuity. <laughs> We've got the leaning tower of San Francisco, and it's not being done to be ironic. How vital are foundations? Their effectiveness is hidden from plain sight, and their effectiveness doesn't show up in real time, does it? You know, Jesus blessed all of you who teach children uh, with this great picture that has provided, I don't know how many coloring pages, songs, skits, crafts, experiments, and it's a short little parable about two kinds of builders. Starting in verse 46, he says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them... Is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Many of you in this room have taught this a lot of times. Many of you have been kids coloring those pages. What stands out to you as you look at this passage? What are some truths that just stand out to you about this passage? Two kinds of foundation. Doesn't have to be profound. And it's not a trick question. What's that? Start on good soil. Okay, yeah. That's right. Yep. It's a good, succinct way of putting it. Whoa, say it again. 
pick a pickle. Yeah, that's, that works. Man, you ought to, you ought to put that on Slack because that works. That's just going to take some time for my brain to digest. One more cup of coffee and I, I'll, I'll get that one. That's good. Yeah. Okay. If the first is talking about the mouth, right, and, and the proper confession, um, the second is talking about walking your talk or, yeah, walking your talk. That confession is good. Confession is necessary. It's insufficient. We also know that hearing and doing are not the same. Foundations are vital. Uh, Chris Shelley is no longer with us. Not that he died. Uh, he's just moved to Washington. Um, and, uh, and I have been friends with Chris for a really long time. We've done a lot of youth ministry together. We've done a lot of Mexico building trips together. Um, he's just been a dear friend. And I've seen Chris in a lot of intense situations. He was a fireman. And so anytime I ever had something where I needed some muscle, now I do this with Jim Cook, but I would invite Chris along. And, uh, and, and Chris would always be there. And he could always handle really intense situations. Um, and the, the most stressed I have ever seen Chris Shelley... And this is saying a lot. He was almost blown up by a firecracker from one of our college kids one time. The most stressed was in the hour of time that occurred after a foundation pour in Mexico. It was summer of 2014. Uh, some of you uh, who are sitting in this room were on this trip. That little trailer is where Lamberto, uh, one of the very joyful men who worked at Grace Children's Home down in Mexico, him and his uh, family lived in that trailer. They had this plot of land, but as you can see, there's no house there. And so that pile of dirt had to be moved uh, by hand, and so that, that happened in the first couple of days. Um, this is Travis here in the corner. He was put on a timeout, I think. Um, he has kind of a sour look on his face. I'm not sure what's... Oh, it's kind of hard to see, but there he is there. That's sort of the whole plot of land. You can see that now it's starting to get level. Uh, this is Lamberto, the one pointing to Carl's knee. That's Carl Smith sitting there. We were working with rebar, and for many of us, that was the first time we were working with it, so there were cuts and scrapes, and a lot of us were wearing flip-flops, which I've came to learn is a terrible thing to do on a construction site. Uh, but here's Lamberto just kind of hammered up, pointing out um, a, a little uh, hurt of... Of Carl's. Now, here's what I want you to see. Um, I want you to see that uh, here in this little lower corner, see Carl? He's pointing out another alley uh, to Lomberto here. Look, I got a little splinter. He's not that stressed. You know who's stressed? Chris is stressed right here. Chris and Jesse, they're stressed. Why? Because they're construction dudes. They know what's coming, they know what needs to happen. Uh, you know who's not stressed in this picture? These people hamming it up for the camera. There's Dolan. Whoop! I'm going to photobomb. It's 2014. That's a new word. You know who's not stressed? Josh with an afro. He's looking up in the sky. It's like, I wonder what it would be like to live at City Impact. And he's just thinking that. You know who is stressed? Jonathan Hurley and Chris Shelley. Do you see them? They're stressed. They know what's coming. They know how important these next few moments are. Now, the, the, the foundation gets poured... And all this liquid, uh, you know, concrete goes in. And then the guys go to work smoothing it out. And uh, these bolts sticking out of the ground mean something. I'm not exactly sure what, but they're doing their stuff. Uh, this is my second favorite picture. 
Talk about beauty and brokenness right near each other, right next to the sewer line in the foundation. Um, I turned it into arts and crafts time. Me and Ethan made a little cross out of the rebar. We thought how cool it would be just to have a, a cross built into the foundation. Uh, so, so that's sitting there. That was, that was my big contribution. Um, this is my favorite picture. Lumberto's not asleep. He is joyfully hugging what's going to turn out to be his new home. And he's so thankful. We get to see it's, it's hardened by now. He's not making like angels in the, in the wet cement. <laughs> and then this is sort of uh, hard to see with all this. But man, there's several people who are sitting in this room. They will join us next week. And when I think about fruit and when I think about foundations, foundations don't show their effectiveness or their value in the early days. In fact, I knew this sort of mentally, but I experienced it in the summer of 2014 when for a week we turned sort of a broken down, just boring looking lot into a boring looking lot with some cement. That's all we did. It was a ton of work. It was the important work. A week or two later, a team from Westgate Church was going to come and build the house And on the impressive scale, the raising of a wall, the putting on of a roof, the painting of a building, the handing of a keys, that just gets far more glory. But in this week of time where a whole team of people sat there and worked really hard to make sure that foundation was good. Now, I didn't fact check this. I should have checked and made sure the house is still standing and not leaning 17 inches to the left or right. But we haven't heard any report to the contrary. As I look at the individuals in this picture and I worship with them on a regular basis, it just gives me huge joy to stop with eyes of wonder and say, God, you are continuing to produce good fruit. And the things that we can't possibly see in real time are that that must mean the roots are are healthy, drawing nutrients from you. That must mean the foundation is built on Jesus Christ. Words reveal the unseen things of the heart. Actions reveal the unseen truth behind your words. Words are cheap. We can all say things. The actions that we have give validity to them or not. I want you to do something. I want you to write the words Lord down on on your paper and the word no down on the same paper. Lord and no. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to cross off one of those. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? If you don't do what Jesus tells you to do, just cross off the word Lord. It's it's really simple. It's really convicting. If you have made Jesus Lord, if you have acknowledged him as Lord, then you will do what he says. And you know what the Bible says? You'll be blessed for it. You'll be blessed in the doing. Not in the knowledge, not in the hearing, not in the church attendance. You will be blessed when you take steps of obedience. Lord and know according to scripture, can't really go together. We sing Lord, say Lord, read Lord so much that I think we've lost some of the impact of what the word means. Master. I'm a bondservant of you, Jesus. 
I'm going to be a slave to something. I'll be enslaved to my sin that I can't say no to, or I'll be enslaved to a good Savior who's provided me, and I can just say, Master. Lord and no can't coexist. The truth that Jesus is telling at the end of the sermon gives a grid for everything else he has said in the sermon that came before. You know what Jesus is doing? He's guarding us from becoming moralists. Tim Keller says it this way, ethical compliance, that's a fancy New York way of saying being a do-gooder, ethical compliance without fervent worship means you've given God your will but not your heart. I want to wrap up my portion of the morning by describing something that came at me from a couple different angles. I just finished a book called Grit. It's, a, it's written by um, this woman who kind of goes after sort of top performers in, in various fields. It was a really interesting read. I was fascinated after I had already put this in the sermon um, that she brings up this same idea from a very non-Christian perspective, um, but, but, but it drove home the same point. And that is this. The idea that every single person makes so many decisions every single day, and every one of us, in the background, without even thinking about it, we assess those decisions. We make judgments about them. We make predictions about them. We count the cost about the decisions that we're going to do. There's a difference, though, between results-based decision-making and identity-based decision-making. Results-based decision-making uses one kind of grid for the questions, and identity-based decision-making uses a completely different grid. Both of them are using grids. Let me give you an example. You're in middle school. There is a new kid in the class. She is sitting all alone in the lunchroom. You are faced with a decision. You now see this kid sitting there. A result-based decision mindset would say this. If I go over to that girl, I may make a new friend. She may be really rotten, and I don't want to have anything to do with her. If I go over to that girl, I may lose some status with the people that I'm currently hanging with. And we could go on and on with this scenario, but... What's happening is you're, you're looking at what are the results of this? What are going to come from this? And so let's say this child decides not to go sit with the girl. Here's what identity-based grid would, would pose. Same thing, there are questions. There's a point of decision. There is a new girl. I now see it. I can't unsee that. If this girl is a believer, she would say this. Identity-based decision-making starts with who am I? Who am I? I'm a Christian. What does that mean? It means that I follow a master who was the friend to the friendless. What kind of situation is this? This is the kind of situation where a person is sitting all alone and needs a friend. What does a person like me do in a situation like this? I walk over and introduce myself. Do you see the difference? What are the results? I don't know. The results aren't why I do it. It's who I am that drives why I do it. 
Some of you have overcome on a Sunday morning your own insecurity, your own wiring that just says, wait for others to introduce themselves, then go introduce yourselves to other people. Not in an effort to become an extrovert, but introverts will actually go and introduce themselves on a Sunday morning to someone based on who they are. They will just say, you know what? Jesus was a friend to me when I needed a friend. I'm looking around. No one else is doing. I, I'm going to go, I'm going to go and, and be a friend to this person. If you take results-based decision-making and identity-based decision-making and overlay it just on stuff at church, watch how the actions can be really, really similar from one church to the next, from one individual to the next, but it's a totally different scenario. So greeting people and being friendly at church. If you're greeting people and being friendly at church, if I preach that to us so that we can grow our church... So that we could have a reputation of being a friendly church. Those are results-based kinds of things. Do you know who immediately picks up on that? Children. I think children are so incredibly in tune if you're trying to be nice to them for some other reason than just authenticity. But over time, people will say this sometimes. Yeah, they're really friendly, but I don't have any friends at church. That's an indication, perhaps, that what we're doing is sort of we're doing what we we ought to do. Maybe the result is I want to feel like I'm doing my part to reach out to the community. So here comes someone I don't know. I'm going to shake their hand. Identity-based says something completely different. How about joining a community group? Sometimes people join a community group, and what they are doing is they are results-based. They're saying, you know what? I need some people in my life. I need someone I can bounce ideas off of. I need on a rainy day some people that will have my back. That's results-based. You know what identity-based says? Identity-based says this. I am a part of a body. My gifts are desperately needed in the other parts of the body, and I desperately need the gifts of, uh, of those other parts. God has called me to a family, not a solo effort. Therefore, I'm going to join a community group. Do you see the difference? We just took up an offering. This is really plain to see in the offering. Sometimes people think if I give generously at church, God sort of has to bless this business deal that I've been working on. If I give here, maybe that will sort of make up for that thing that I'm pretty sure God saw last Friday, and so that's results-based, whereas identity-based is something altogether different. Because it's Foster Care Awareness Month, we're getting to hear from Rob and Julie. Thank you for that, by the way, for sharing your heart. One of the things at Foster the Bay is I go around and, and talk to different people in all these different locations. I keep this in my mind that we at Foster the Bay and pastors, what I call pastors too is this. We're not simply recruiting people to meet a need. We are discipling people to obey a command. Recruiting people to meet a need is results-based. Do you see it? And that is not sustainable. You will do that and you will find foster care too hard. We are discipling people to obey a command. If you are a Christian, you are already called to care for the fatherless. You don't need to be called. You've already been called. The response then is, what, what part do I play? I know everyone can do something in this. I know we all play a part. So, so what, what part can I play? One of the beautiful pictures that we have is this. That family that's doing foster care is surrounded by people. 
around them. Some are in formal support friend roles like Chuck and Sharon have committed to be. But many others contribute spiritually and in relational ways and in tangible ways. And what you see in that picture is there are many, many more people outside the circle than inside the circle. It doesn't mean that everyone is called to adopt or do foster care, but everyone is called to care for the fatherless. You can go on and process this more as a group individually, but take evangelism for the same way. I think a great damage to the church is when people are doing results-based evangelism. Results-based evangelism is this. I've said the gospel to 20 people this week. Look at me. My halo's doing just great. Man, that is the wrong picture. Or results-based saying, I want to I wanna, I wanna do this so that, you know, and there's some result attached. Rather to say, out of the overflow of my joyful worship, out of the overflow of living a life with God, it comes bubbling out of me, sometimes in very intentional ways and often in very unintentional ways. I'm going to invite the band to come on up here right now. In preparation for communion, I want to invite you to come on up during this next song and take a grape. And then you can go back to your seat. So I envision this just kind of coming up. And there are some that are in a bowl on the sides. There are some here. You can grab it right off the, the vine there or you can take it from a bowl. I'm going to get you prompted here a little bit. Maybe God will show you something else with your grape. But perhaps as you take your grape and you bite into that grape, as we prepare for communion, you will remember that Jesus Christ was crushed for our sin. He was broken so that we didn't have to be. Perhaps as you take your grape and you pop it off of the vine that it's attached to, you'll think of John 15. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. Perhaps as you take your grape, you just rejoice that you are a part of the vine. Let me give you one more. After this, we'll pass communion like we normally do. Uh, on this last supper that Jesus had, there's a fragrant beauty to wine that does not occur without brokenness. Some of you have fruit being produced and you see that fruit being crushed in some way. And when you consider and think on the way that wine is made, that grapes are pressed. Maybe as you chew up your grape, they would be a prayer of recommittal to the sovereignty of God, knowing what He's doing with the fruit that He is producing in your life. Maybe your brokenness this morning, church, is a part of some way bigger plan that's going to bless people in another time and another season. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that you provide lessons for us that even a child can understand. Thank you, God, that as we go through our week, if we're paying attention in the created order, we will see the gospel on display. Buildings, as we look at trees, as common 
today as they were then. Let your truth sink in. In Jesus' name, amen.